Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Seated by my side, as always, is Eric Eggers. He's the co-host of this program, an author. Uh, and we're going to talk today about something that seems pretty close to home. We've talked about global issues. We talked about China. We're going to talk about the train derailment and the problems, the environmental problems in East Palestine, Ohio. Palestine. We- Palestine, thank you. You're right. Palestine, Ohio, uh, which after initially being underreported, now seems to be attracting more national attention. And it's interesting to note that on the very day that the Ohio governor issued the evacuation for East Palestine area, uh, Buttigieg, our transportation secretary, appeared on three Sunday news shows, CNN's State of the Union, NBC's Meet the Press, and ABC's This Week. He was not asked a single question about the train derailment on any of those shows. And of course, he as transportation secretary has responsibility in this area. And he himself actually never mentioned it. Well, he was talking about that Chinese balloon, which <laughs> would not appear to necessarily be under the purview of transportation. Like, you know, trains, <laughs> we have like millions of miles of train tracks. Right. Instead, where it's like balloon Pete out to the yeah. masses. The balloon, the balloon is is Chinese transportation. It's not U.S. transportation. Some, so. some could question our instincts as far as like podcast content creators. If I mean, maybe the reason why nobody wants to talk about the train derailment in East Palestine is because it's kind of boring. It's not good copy. Right. Like, we'll do 25 minutes on it. No problem. <laughs> well, hey, it's emblematic of a lot of things. Yeah, hang in there with us, guys. Now, actually, you say it's been underreported and ignored. I actually think that, uh, once again, you're misleading people wildly because I just saw some breaking news. It was a major announcement from the Biden administration. Like it, the East Palestine situation may have been ignored by the media, but I just saw the Bidens announced 500 million in aid that was about to be dispersed. Oh, really? Oh, that's terrific news. Actually, I should check that. I, I should have read the entire headline. That 500 million is going to Ukraine. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is going to Ohio, <laughs> except for except for several federal agencies to deal with the ongoing environmental disaster. Yeah, I mean, I hate to sound cynical, but if instead of East Palestine, this were Palestine, they probably would have a better chance of getting foreign aid from this administration than they would get support. But it's a terrible situation, um, and it's got some really interesting circumstances circumstances that intersects on a lot of the issues we talk about, which is cronyism with corporations, big government. Um, and I think it's worth unpacking. No, and, and I think part of the reason that we will talk about it is we do want to shine a light because it is sort of largely being 
ignored, right? Yeah. I think the, it became a story because it wasn't a story, right. right? The story itself wasn't covered. It was, wait, why aren't we talking about the giant balls of flames and plumes <laughs> of smoke in the heartland? And maybe it's because yeah. Ohio isn't a big city. Right. Uh, my wife's family's from Ohio, so I have to be sort of careful here. But I will say one time I was getting on a plane uh, and I was just in line. Somebody, uh, I said, where are you from? And they're like, oh, Cincinnati. And they go, it's not hell, but you can see it from there. No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. I love Ohio. I it's do, a beautiful state. It's a beautiful no, state. Correction, it used to be. Now it's a toxic wasteland. Well, I, I have to say it was pretty shocking when I turned on the TV and I saw that basically mushroom cloud. I mean, I thought it was reporting from the war zone in Ukraine. I mean, it was that dramatic, or I thought it was, you know, emblematic of some terrorist attack somewhere. I mean, it was horrifying when you actually saw that explosion. And the reason we're concerned about this, of course, is we're talking chemicals. Yeah, it's not a terrorist attack. It's just the corporate erosion of regulation, thanks to lobbying and the big business <laughs> partnership with big government. So the, the reason why you saw that big explosion is because this train was carrying something called vinyl chloride, which don't pretend that I know anything about chemicals, but I will tell no. you what little I know. It's a carcinogenic chemical uh, used to make plastic. And according to the EPA and I guess science, uh, vinyl chloride is actually more dangerous per part than ammonia and natural gas. And mm. according to federal regulations, right, that say what's acceptable to have in the air. So you, you can have less vinyl chloride than you can right. natural gas or something else. And so you brought up uh, something interesting because, like, it's obviously part of this dis disaster that we have all this vinyl chloride, which is worse than natural gas. And you thought, hmm, well, we, we used to be okay with natural gas on trains, right? Or we are okay. Well, I mean, the the irony that I found in all of this is this is a horrible rail disaster. And remember, we had a debate back in the Obama administration, and it's been kind of reinforced with the Biden administration, which was uh, opposition to pipelines. The idea that we don't want energy pipelines and the argument was that they can cause spills. Well, the problem is you still need to transport oil, natural gas, whatever. And so if you're not going to do it by pipeline, you're going to do it by rail. Uh, and this circumstance certainly to me speaks to the fact that we, we ought to, they ought to reconsider their thinking that, you know, pipelines are these horrible, dangerous things and rail cars are the way to go. I think it's a really interesting take because that's why Keystone was scuttled, right? Keystone right. was scuttled because, hey, we can transport natural gas on trains. We don't need this pipeline. It's too dangerous. Meanwhile, we have a chemical that's worse than natural gas, which is exploding into the air because of a train crash. Now, the reason why they exploded it, it's not because of the train crash per se, but Northern Southern officials said that these cars, um, the cars themselves weren't breached, but because there was a, a risk of explosion, right? then so if you explode like the kind of tank that you have to keep these chemicals in, it's essentially like a giant bomb with shrapnel and everything else. So to avoid the explosion and the potential releasing of shrapnel which would cause little physical damage because the cool thing is that nobody died in this thing right other than 3500 fish yeah 3500 fish there's there's uh news reports about wildlife or or you know chickens farm chickens in the area there's all kind a lot of it we just don't know what the toll of this may potentially be but i bet you that dang native american is crying again you know okay. <laughs> You're terrible. No. You are a terrible human what being. <laughs> you are a terrible. I empathize. With, <laughs> no, I think there's a lot of people uh, in this situation that are that are saddened, including the Native American. No, uh, but I remember those commercials as a kid, by the way. That's yeah. right. So the point is, like, that's why they're releasing the chemicals, right? Uh, and so, because they're trying to keep it from being this massively nasty explosion, right? right? It was like a controlled detonation. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's absolutely okay. what it was. And okay. so then many people. 
people uh, in the vicinity were evacuated. And that's the day in question, which Mayor Pete was being trotted out to talk about the Chinese balloon and not this. Right. Uh, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, says, look, you guys need to get out. They were gone for a couple of days. And then they said, OK, now you're allowed to come back. But one environmental expert interviewed by NPR was asked, hey, would you be comfortable given what you know about particles in the air and soil and everything else? And the guy said, quote, honestly, with the data that I've seen uh, on the EPA response site, the answer is no. That's a no for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah. would not be returning to East Palestine. But, you know, so it's it's a tragedy. It's not a profound tragedy because nobody died. Right. But, it, but it does speak to sort of these are the forces that combine to shape policy as it relates to everything in the country, including regulations regarding trains. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we don't know what the cause uh, of this derailment was, how this accident happened. But there are a lot of interesting questions. If you look at the train itself, it originated in Madison, Illinois on the evening of February 1st, and it broke down at least once before it derailed on February the 3rd. Uh, employees say there were concerns among those working on the train that they thought the train was too long uh, and, and too heavy. It had 151 cars. It was 9,300 feet long, 18,000 tons. Uh, and they believe that that may have resulted or contributed to the initial breakdown and the dera derailment. Uh, some employees said that we shouldn't be running trains that are 150 cars long. And the question becomes is why um, did that slip through the cracks? Why did that become a problem? Uh, and there are also questions about, you know, some of the um, warning signs that emerged uh, when this train uh, derailed. The fact that it broke down once already, people would suggest was indicative that it was potentially a problem. So the fact that the train was 150 cars long is interesting. And I, you know, I, before this, I had no frame of reference for what constitutes a long train right, right, or not. Right. But, it, but Except it, when you're sitting and waiting it go by. It, it's, yeah. No, absolutely true. But apparently the 150 train, 150 cars on the train is a problem for a couple different reasons. One is because of some new regulations that I think we'll talk about in a little bit that like Norfolk Southern and other rail companies right. have, have put into place on their own end to try to maximize efficiencies and therefore right. profits for shareholders. So they only allow so much time for the cars to be inspected. So then logically, the more cars you have, right. the longer it takes to inspect the trains, yep. but then you don't have time to inspect everything. So that, that's potentially a problem. The other thing is the longer the train is, the more momentum, the more weight. And so the more pressure it puts on the brake system exactly. to try to slow it down. And that's actually one of the things that um, people like David Sirota, who actually is, you know, he's a, a Bernie Sanders guy, but he's done some interesting reporting on the elimination of an Obama era regulation that some people think could have been the cause for this derailment. And then the point of raising it is that Pete Buttigieg, who doesn't talk about it on TV shows right. as the Biden administration transportation secretary, his administration refused to or declined to reinstitute this regulation. So you've got some breaking problems you got trains that are too long, and now we've got chemicals in Ohio. And don't forget this, Native Americans crying. That's really the key. <laughs> that's the that's the thing that puts it over the line. Um, yeah, we, we don't know exactly if it was the length of the train. There's going to be an investigation here. Let's remember that in December, just a couple of months ago, the Biden administration and Congress intervened to stop a strike. Uh, among rail workers. One of the complaints for rail workers was that they had railroads had slashed labor and other costs to bolster profits uh, and that they had fiercely opposed uh, certain concerns that were raised about safety. So it's interesting in that context, did that play any role? Could could that have prevented it? Did you see the stat on how many train derailments we have each year? No. If you were going to guess, how many would you guess? 
115. 100, that's a terrible guess. That's a ter- no, it's a thousand. Over a, a thousand. thousand wow. That means three a day. Look at you, quick math. Well, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's something like three. That's, a day. that's right. Yeah. But so luckily, not all of them happen um, with chemicals on board. But think of it. But, you know, but this is another interesting context, right? So like that was actually part of Pete Buttigieg's response. Listen, this is a tragedy. Right. But we have over a thousand train derailments <laughs> a, a year in this country. But we don't have a thousand mushroom clouds. So, so these things happen. But remember, I mean, think about this, right? When COVID happened, all of a sudden it was like, no one's allowed to die. Like if right. people, people don't die anymore. If anybody's right. dying, then that means like we're going to dramatically shut down right. society and not to conflate the death of a human with the derailment of a train. Right. But it does. Like these are naturally occurring outcomes. It does. Based on the systems and status quos. And we're going to react to some and not react to others based on the relative level of corporate pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing that's interesting, and again, we don't know, there's going to be more investigation what calls the train derail. The National Transportation Safety Board said that it was an overheated wheel bearing on the rail car that started the derailment. This is one of the theories. Wayside hot box detectors, which use infrared uh, infrared sensors to detect when rail car components are overheating, are supposed to detect this sort of thing and flag rail crews about these issues. So how come it didn't flag anybody for Norfolk Southern on this issue? Uh, Great question. Well, it's not clear that the hot box detectors in East Palestine in that area um, had people actually monitoring those boxes. Uh, and in fact, uh, Freight Waves, which is sort of an industry publication, uh, interviewed Christopher Ham, the director of research at the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen. That's the union. Yeah. Uh, and he told the publication that Signalmen these days spend most of their time on government mandated tests rather than routine maintenance. So again, there's the possibility that that there's, and I think it's probably going to be a combination of these, uh, corporations slashing safety budgets, uh, these government programs, you know, every time they create a new safety requirement, which I'm not saying is necessarily a bad thing, the way you deal with a safety requirement is you create a government mandated class or test that your employees need to be doing. So instead of actually doing their job and monitoring things, they're actually doing these government-related tests. That's at least what Christopher Hand of the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen is saying may have been at work in this case. It would be ironic if the people who were hired by Norfolk Southern to be hot box detectors were, in fact, you know, hot boxing them. <laughs> hot box is a great term it's for a, a railroad, isn't it? It was the hot box. I wish it'd be a band with the hot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but there are so that's example, right? So, like government yep. regulation creates these required trainings. Right, so they have to go to the training. You got fewer employees than normal because the, the corporations are trying to have more efficiencies. And we'll talk about actually the fact that Norfolk Southern just last year recorded or reported enormous and record profits, right? Which also led to stock buyback programs, right? But they also um, have been successful. So when companies are successful, they can spend more money, maybe not on employees, but on lobbying. And that's one of the reasons why they were able, both actually under the Obama administration and the Trump administration, to erode and then eventually remove a key regulation. So uh, in 2014, you'd seen a slur or I guess a series of similar accidents in Canada, New Jersey. So the Obama Transportation Department was trying to improve train safety, and then they would make some rules, right, for that would apply to trains carrying crude oil or other f- hazardous materials like this vinyl chloride. And so they said, okay, we're going to require a certain type of braking system on trains of certain size if you're carrying these chemicals. And then after a lot of pressure from the rail companies, the rules were narrowly tailored. They were, you know, kind of reduced. And this is actually what David Sirota has been reporting 
to only apply to cars or trains with 70 cars of flammable liquids or gases. So, and now, so if you have 69, you're okay. You're okay. Now this is like, so, and this is an interesting thing to think about, like the relative size of trains. So just for perspective, a former F federal raid administration, uh, the executive named Sarah Feinberg was quoted in an article said, look, when I was the FRA administrator, I was not happy with lengths of trains when they're 80 or 90 cars long. So like the point is like 80 or 90 tra- train cars is considered to be a long train. Right. So think about this train, Norfolk Southern. 150. Yeah, 50% greater than that yep. with all these chemicals. And so the point is like, so still under the Obama administration, a train of this size was required to have a certain type of braking system. Right. But then when the Trump administration took over in 2017, they in a deregulation effort, they ended this Obama era rule because of what they calculated was, well, it's going to be too expensive for these trains. And, you know, obviously there's industry pressure. Right. But, you know, last week's episode you talked about, and I thought it was a great point, how the government can be bad at calculating or estimating the p- potential expenses of things. Right. If right. the government's a contractor, right. they wouldn't be getting a lot of repeat business <laughs> if they didn't have a monopoly. Right. 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 So they're like, we're regularly wrong. We said in the last week's episode that we anticipated one student loans program to make us $150 million and said right. a lot, it cost us <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oops. A casual $300 million error there. Well, so the, the Trump administration was wrong in this way as well because they failed to consider up to $117 million in estimated future damages from train derailments that could be avoided by using these electronic brakes. So it's just another example of a government yeah. miscalculation, yeah. which was used as a rationale to eliminate a regulation, which is now causing plumes of smoke in the heartland. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. There's probably going to be several people and institutions responsible here for what happened. It, it seems fairly clear that the railroad um, is probably an error here and they're going to be held liable in some form. There are probably things that the government did or that has clogged things up. Here's the interesting difference, though, and this is why we always focus on government accountability. You know, what's going to happen? I noticed already with this stuff, with the coverage out of East Palestine that um, Fox and some of the other networks, they were interviewing lawyers. There were already lawyers that were present in East Palestine. They're getting lit, ready to litigate against the railroad, which that's the way our system works. And I think that's a good thing. The point is, is they are going to sue Norfolk Southern and Norfolk Southern may or may not be held accountable by a jury. What you can't do is sue the federal government. You cannot sue the federal government, you know, and and they are protected um, by the law. So where does the accountability come in? If it ends up being that the government failed uh, in these areas, that they clogged up safety because, as the uh, union rep said, they're spending all these times in these classes and doing other things actually monitoring the trains. Where's the accountability? There is none. Uh, except the fact that maybe you have a congressional uh, committee. So that's one of the many frustrating things about this. And um, I think we're going to know a lot more going forward. And I think Norfolk Southern is probably going to be paying some serious money, as they should, to the people of that town because of this disaster that uh, has been created. Well, if Norfolk Southern does have to pay serious money, according to their own stock record, uh, record Stock records they can afford it because Norfolk Southern reported record, record profits of 4.8 billion operations in 2022. Kind of crazy to think a train company is making 4.8 billion dollars. Yeah, it just seems like kind of an anachronistic 
type of industry, but they're still. Well, and remember the, the, the whole issue we had over supply chains. Mm -hmm. What is the supply chain in America? It's trucks and it's trains. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we talked about, I mean, there are pipelines, but I mean, so much of this stuff, I mean, food and basic things that we need are coming through the trains. And with all the shortages that we had and all the, the price hikes, um, it's no question that the railroads are doing better. The question is, 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 is the industry advanced? I mean, you know, trains have been around for a while. Mm -hmm. You remember the, the, the golden spike in the 19th century where they, they, they joined the transcontinental railroad. I mean, how much upgrading has there really done been done since then? Obviously the rail cars are much more advanced, but it's still the same basic net technology. And you wonder what's it going to take in that industry to invest in better safety features, uh, more efficient ways to transport cargo, especially. Well, are you you're suggesting something more modern or innovative than the hot box? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty elite to me. I wanted a hot box in my office just to say um, I have a hot box. This is um, this is me not making <laughs> a thousand jokes about who has or has not a hot box in your office. But when you talk about accountability, it's just one, you know, the person that is being sort of held up as accountable on behalf of the Biden administration is Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. And it's so two different things on this. Number one one of the, the the far left progressive, like we should invest in good government types to point out a couple things. And I think you're the one that raised, you know, we did just pass an infrastructure bill, like $1.7 trillion. Yeah. November, I think it was November, December of 2021. So it's been more than a year. Yeah. So, so should that money have made its way into some of these things? That should and, 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 and where is it actually going? I mean, one of the big frustrations that people had with that bill is it broadly defined infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they 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 pushed, racial equity is infrastructure. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they, they pushed it off as, you know, oh, the bridges are crumbling. We got to spend these trillions of dollars on infrastructure. But then when you looked at it, the amount of money actually going for bridges and railroads and roads was a relatively small portion because they throw a lot of stuff in there for quote unquote infrastructure. Um, and, and that's part of the problem we have in Washington is they, they, they trot out, uh, the things that we all know that need to be fixed like roads and bridges. Uh, but when it comes to these, uh, programs and the spending, a lot of it doesn't end up there. So you wonder, um, is that an issue? Are there, is there a way we can upgrade the safety features on our railroad system? If we're spending trillions of dollars, it would seem like we could put some money to that. And so Mayor Pete, comes off as a guy that's pro kind of smart innovation this way. But one of the critiques that's currently being lobbed at him is the fact that in his previous career, before he was in politics, he worked for McKinsey. So he's a consultant, corporate consultant. Yeah. And what their whole gig is, they go, what, what do they do? And you point out, they cut middle management. They look to streamline things. And so what? consulting people generally aren't seen as fans of government regulation. And so maybe ideologically, that's one reason why Pete Buttigieg is being considered as not something that's pushed for re-implementing some of those things. I think he's also considered to be a person with further political aspirations. You probably don't get very far right. in modern politics by upsetting giant corporations that you do business with, right? So right. I think that's one of the critiques. But from an accountability standpoint, at least one person suggesting that he be held accountable. Senator Marco Rubio from the great mm. state of Florida yeah. has written a letter calling on Transportation Secretary Buttigieg to resign. Oh, wow. He says Mayor Pete has, quote, downplayed and ignored crisis after crisis while prioritizing topics of little relevance to our nation's transportation <laughs> system. Is this the racist bridges? Remember the part about the bridges were too low because they were trying to keep people out of certain parts of town? Do you remember that? He had a discussion about how certain bridges were racist. Right. The way that they've been built. Um, I think it's a valid criticism in that you're the transportation secretary. I mean, he was talking. He was out there about the balloon, 
which which is not I don't understand how that's even a quote unquote transportation issue. It's a national security issue. It's a maybe an aviation issue related to our national security it has nothing to do with U.S. transportation system. And yet he was not out in front on this East uh, Palestine issue. It's reminiscent of a lot of the criticism that was leveled against the Bush administration when Katrina, remember mm-hmm. when the hurricane uh, uh, blew through and that where is everybody you need? People want to know that you are rushing toward a crisis, not away from it. And Remember, what did Kanye say? George Bush hates black people. <laughs> Mayor Pete hates Ohioans, which for somebody from Indiana could check out. <laughs> we nailed it. Exactly. Ru- Rubio is like, he's refused to acknowledge the disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, until his intentional ignorance was no longer tenable. No, that's not it, Marco Rubio. He just <laughs> hates the Buckeye State. <laughs> it's certainly possible. I mean, it, it's interesting. He was always an interesting pick for me as transportation secretary because uh, he was the, the, the mayor of, of a city and not a very big city. South Bend, Indiana. And I'm sure he had, quote unquote, transportation issues to deal with there. But it was basically one of the buses is broken down or there are potholes on Main Street. Uh, When you're the transportation secretary, you are dealing with uh, a very important, vibrant part of our economy and our society. And he does not seem to be up to the task. And he's focusing on all these tangential issues about racial equity and and instead of actually making sure that our transportation system is working well. So you saw the emerging stories that start to come out that like pilots are resigning. They're saying that the airline industry is going to be not as safe anymore because of the airline industry's emphasis for pilots on DEI training as opposed right. to actual time yeah. in the air. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting to consider whether Pete Buttigieg would have the job as transportation secretary for the United States of America if he himself was not a DEI candidate. Uh, it's a great point. It's and, a great point. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I'm not saying that because we have somebody whose background is not in transportation that you're now seeing more transportation related issues. But I, I do think it's evidence to support that general argument. Absolutely. I, I think and you consider no what, what we've gone through in terms of the airline industry in the last six months. Right. We've yeah. had problems there. So it, it just, I think it just speaks to and actually I've heard this philosophy espoused before and i think i think it just checks a lot of boxes it makes a lot of sense we have people in place because we like the idea of who they are not because of the skill set that they bring to the table <laughs> right until a crisis comes well and, this, and everybody's yeah. like how is he in over his head right why is he in over his head mm-hmm. i mean consider the uh, the supply chain crisis uh, come out of covid last year the first six months of last year uh, remember he was on paternity leave <laughs> Remember that? You had all those big ships that were off of Long Beach Port waiting. uh, And he was. And, you know, look, I understand, you know, you have a child. But I mean, this is what national leadership is about. It's not about saying I'm going to worry about my personal uh, situation at the expense of the country. So he has been checked out for a long time. And I'll just say this uh, just so we don't get accused of having a double standard. I think if we had a female transportation secretary and she had had a child. To be honest, I wouldn't, I mean, I respect women. I, I wouldn't want her on maternity leave. Like if we got, no. if you have a job that's that important, you, you know, have the child, let's get a nanny in there, bro. We got, we got trust. Well, money. yeah. I mean, the, the, the point is, is you, you can't always do both. And right. think about in your, in your own life. I mean, if you're, you know, if you have a child and you're on paternity or maternity leave and there's a crisis in the family. Right. Uncle Joe has died and, you know, the family needs help. You would go and try to engage and help the family. Well, in this case, the country uh, is facing a crisis and this is your job. You have a responsibility to show up. Um, And I think that's not an unreasonable standard at all. No, I think that's right. I think we should end this podcast before I say anything other 
disparaging remarks about women. So, <laughs> Well, we appreciate everybody who's always listening to the podcast here. We try to cover a variety of subjects and topics. Some of them are global, uh, including issues related to China and their campaign against the United States. Some of them seem to be local, like this issue in East Palestine, but they're decidedly not because they talk about this intersection of business and government uh, and how things can go wrong, how the uh, finger pointing takes place, and um, the fact that it's hard oftentimes to hold people into account, especially those that are deeply connected in Washington, D.C. So what are your final thoughts other than not to take a train anytime soon? The fact that you, as the president of the General Account- uh, the, the Government Accountability Institute, have will have today avoided any accountability for your murdering of the name of East Palestine, Ohio. <laughs> did I call Palestine? You again? did. Oh, I'm, ter- I'm terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> well, on that note, we appreciate you joining us. You can find this podcast and articles about our research at thedrilldown.com. Thank you for joining us. Until next time.